We set up a Twitter Spaces. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. I'm Chris Velasco with six Washington Post reporters who have been part of covering the many revelations coming out about Facebook and Instagram from the whistleblower leaks. That's Will Remus, a tech reporter for The Post. And he was part of that Twitter space. A Twitter space is like a live online chat room, but you can actually hear people's voices. So on Twitter spaces, you can see the avatars of all the people who are listening. And I just noticed that Adam Mosseri was one of the people who was in the room. He's the CEO of Instagram. And so I was like, hmm, I bet, you know, I bet he's like having an awkward time listening to us talk about uh, some of these seemingly damning revelations about his company. Facebook, very, very deeply researched and knew about um, major harms that were being caused by their platform, how much the platform... And so I thought, what if we invited Adam to come up? Maybe he would like to have his say. And he did Hi, yeah, so I was just actually a first-time listener, right, long-time listener, first-time caller. Was just jumping in, wasn't looking to actually speak, but I got some, will ping me and say, why don't you just jump up for a bit? So I was just happy to answer any questions about ranking. Remember, this is all happening during a week where we're learning more and more about the questionable inner workings of Instagram and its parent company, Facebook, now rebranded as Meta. And the CEO of Instagram, he basically revived this idea that everyone thought was dead on arrival. Instagram for kids. Uh, I mean, nothing that I haven't said before. I still really believe this is the right thing to do. And I say that as a dad of three. Instagram Kids, which is a project that had been shelved after some of the revelations in the whistleblower documents, is something that should still happen. He still believes in it. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Alexis Diao. It's Friday, October 29th. Today, our kids and social media. Plus, Facebook stumbles and tries to pivot. Why are these comments from the CEO of Instagram so significant right now? So one of the big fallouts so far from the Facebook documents was there was a story about Instagram targeting teens and about how Instagram can, under some circumstances, make body image issues worse, especially for teen girls. And this led to a big controversy that that ultimately uh, Facebook and Instagram decided to shelve a project called Instagram Kids. They're developing a, a version of Instagram that specifically targets younger kids. It's supposed to have more safety and privacy built in. But it also shows how they're going after this very young audience, which is important to their business. Facebook suspended that program. So Adam, you know, it was interesting. He he said, I still think Instagram kids is the right thing to do. He made sort of like not a business defense of it, but sort of a moral defense of it. Our systems aren't foolproof. um, And Instagram wasn't designed for that age group. And so they're getting online. They're lying about their age. And they're sometimes with their parents' consent, sometimes without it. And we don't know, we're none the wiser on our side until we find out. And when we find out, we take them off. And that just has to be less responsible than giving parents the option to give their kids access to a version of Instagram that's designed for them and one where they can control how much time they spend on Instagram, what they can see on Instagram, who they can message on Instagram, and what they can share on Instagram. I get it's an easy dunk. Uh, to dunk on the idea, but I think if you if you get into the details of this and you look at the actual practical realities, it's 
I think, a much more responsible path than where we are today. So he said, as a father, he thinks this is the right thing to do. Like, not just as the CEO of Instagram, but he feels as a father, he has fairly young kids. As they grow up, he wants them to have social media products that are made for kids rather than creating, you know, a fake account on Instagram and just using the regular product. Huh, that's interesting. So it's kind of like the same idea of like, I don't know if you've heard this before, but parents who are like, well, you know, if I know that they're going to go out and do things that maybe they shouldn't be doing, like drinking when they're too young or smoking pot, well, at least they're doing it here where we can see them in like in a safe way as opposed to just like going out and doing it with God knows who and God knows where. Kind of like that philosophy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's, it's not an irrational argument. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of good points to it. I think the issue is that when it comes from the CEO of Instagram, you know, there's obviously a vested interest there as well. And, and particularly for Facebook, as it's, it's one of its big challenges is that it is losing young users. So the, the blue app, as they call it, the main Facebook app, has been losing younger users for years now. And in fact, its overall use has stagnated in developed markets, including the U.S., and has even gone down a bit. So this is this is still a humongous app. It's still the world's largest social network, but it is in decline in its mature markets. It's still growing in in some other markets around the world. Um, but Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook have always understood that young users are the bellwether. They're the leading indicator. Once you lose the teens, it is likely in the social media world a matter of time before you start to lose the adults as well. Now there's concern that even Instagram may be losing ground to these other apps. So it's, you know, Facebook sees this as existential. And Zuckerberg has said that Facebook is actually going to really pivot to focusing on the needs of its younger users because they're the future. So it's not just like a, a moral philosophy for them. It's also just a business venture, so to speak. Yeah, right. And so then the question becomes, okay, if you do buy the argument, that we need social media products tailored for kids. And again, that's, I think that's an open question. You can make reasonable arguments on both sides. If you buy that argument, is Facebook the company that we trust to do this at this point, given all that's come out, given the way that Facebook has, in some cases by its own admission, failed to properly prioritize safety and privacy over the years? You know, are they the ones that we want building the app for our, for our tweens and, and young teens? Were you surprised by his comments? I guess I, I wasn't that surprised knowing Adam a little bit. I, so <laughs> this is, I mean, just by coincidence, Adam was a friend of a friend when I was living in San Francisco right out of college before he even started working at Facebook. So we've kept in touch a little bit over the years, usually when he's like slightly irked or annoyed by something I wrote or tweeted and he just wants to sort of gently say, hey, that was a little harsh and kind of argue about it in his super polite way. But he's just, I actually wasn't surprised that he said this. I mean, he he did acknowledge that there are concerns, but I think, he, you know, I think he's genuine. I think he genuinely believes that this would be the right product path for his company. And he was also, by the way, the head of Facebook's newsfeed at the time of some of the events that were described in my reporting about newsfeed ranking and about the Facebook algorithm. I don't think we should talk about the algorithm as an entity with its own agency, right? Like there are people who work at this company and we build tools and technology that try and serve people. Um, you can have opinions that whether or not that we do a good job or a poor job, um, but ultimately we're responsible for 
um, the technology that we build um, in, in a really important way. And so like we use ranking as a tool to try and make an educated guess about what people are interested in. Um, we are not perfect. We make mistakes. We do get better over time. I actually think the debate about should we rank or should we You know, there's been a lot of news lately about social media and Facebook and, you know, the Facebook papers. It's quite frankly pretty overwhelming. It's hard to keep up with. But I'm I'm hoping, Will, if you can just step back for a moment and explain what are the Facebook papers? The Facebook papers are a huge set of images, actually. Uh, they are pictures that Frances Haugen, who was a Facebook employee, took of her computer. So she was working from home in Puerto Rico during the pandemic. And as a member of Facebook's integrity teams, whose job is to look after some of the societal impacts of their products, to look after user safety and, and privacy and all that kind of stuff, she had broad access to lots of the reports, the documents, the research that was being done on teams across the company. And once she had decided that Facebook was headed in the wrong direction and that she had lost faith in its leadership to make the right decisions, she started taking literal pictures of her screen, going just going all through the company's documents, looking for all the research on the various harms of Facebook and and experiments with how to make it better or what, what things make it worse, discussions about key decisions that were made. She just took pictures of all of them. And there's, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of pictures of a computer screen. And the reason she did it that way is because if she had done actual screenshots, then the company would have been able to detect that. They have mechanisms for, for knowing what everybody is doing on their work computers and when they're logged in to Facebook Workplace, which is their software that they use internally to communicate. So she had to actually use her smartphone to take pictures of the screen. So some of them are blurred out in a funny way. But anyway, there's all these documents and it's just this huge like raw dump of information. And some of it is like credible research reports from teams of researchers working within Facebook. Others are just comments made on Facebook Workplace, which is sort of like the equivalent of like just, you know, internal emails between random employees at a company or Slack messages between random employees. So some is more credible than others, but it has given us unprecedented insight into data about what's happening on Facebook and its various apps and how the company thinks internally about some of the issues that its outside critics are always talking about. And what are some of the criticisms, which have been out for a long time against Facebook, but you know, how have they evolved since the Facebook papers have come out? So a lot of what's in the documents is basically just confirming that Facebook knew about a lot of the same problems that outside critics have been talking about for years. That said, there have been some particular revelations that I think are noteworthy. And I think that the documents and the testimony of, of Haugen herself and, and her view of the documents has shaped the discourse in a little bit of a different way. So Francis Haugen sees Facebook's algorithm and this is the software that decides what posts you see at the top of your feed and which posts you don't see, she sees that as really core to the company's problems. She thinks that this algorithm is built in a way that rewards some of the worst stuff on Facebook, the, the outrage bait, the conspiracy theories, the misinformation, the, the hateful stuff about people who aren't like us. And so that has really changed the focus of the conversation about Facebook from, okay, there's bad stuff on Facebook, 
Facebook, you know, will Facebook take it down or leave it up? Now the conversation is more about how is the fundamental design of Facebook software incentivizing bad speech, incentivizing dangerous or harmful information over more civil forms of discourse. So, well, I, this is kind of a personal question, but I'm curious, do you have kids and are they on the internet? I have a six-year-old and as we speak, he's homesick from school and watching a football game on TV. <laughs> so I am not a paragon when it comes to screen time, but I really do worry. I think like most parents about the effects of social media on kids, it's really hard to say what you're going to do down the line as your kid gets older. I think I want to be really cautious. My wife and I want to be really cautious about what age he gets a phone, what age he gets access to social media. And would I trust Instagram to build a product for him? I, at this moment, I'm not sure I would. You know, I think it would. I think the company has a lot to prove. Facebook has a lot to prove if it wants to gain parents' trust. Mm. What about you? What you have kids? What? How do you think about this kind of thing? <laughs> what about me? Um, I just. It's funny because I feel like every time I'm on the show or hosting, I'm like, I have kids. But yes, I have kids. I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old and a. 20-year-old who is not on really social media. She has no interest. I mean, you know, when we... Wow. Yeah, yeah. When we talk about the whole, like, you know, people she's, you know, she calls Facebook mom book and she <laughs> thinks Instagram is lame but they're online. Yes. I mean, also, as we speak, my kids are under quarantine this week. They're fine. But um, they are on screens so I can do this interview. I love it that we're both pandemic parenting right now. Yeah, it is a real thing. It is a very real thing. After the break, the rebranding of Facebook. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial monarchmoney.com slash podcast. So, Will, we've been talking about Instagram, which is obviously owned by Facebook or the company formerly known as Facebook. What has the company's response been to these revelations and the public criticism about how it actually functions? Facebook has tried to downplay both the documents and the credibility of the whistleblower. Facebook says, look, 
These are just conversations between employees. We have a very open culture. Anybody can comment on anything. And so just because somebody says something in a screenshot of a message on Facebook workplace, that doesn't mean that this is the definitive truth about the company. It doesn't mean that this was what the company knew or how the company thought about something. You know, they have thousands and thousands of employees. And so they're trying to say that people are overreacting to these documents. They're treating stuff that was really just like a conversation between some Facebook staffers who were like procrastinating on their actual jobs and saying that, you know, that that was Facebook's official deliberation about an issue. I think there's something to that. They're also pointing out that Frances Haugen, you know, she worked on, on certain products at Facebook. A lot of the documents are about products that she had no relationship to. And so they're, they're trying to say, well, who is she to talk about, uh, talk about these things? She doesn't really know what she's talking about in these areas. I think that approach, you know, it has found some some adherence. I mean, I think there are some sort of contrarians out there in the, in the media who are saying, yeah, Facebook has a really good point here. I think overall it has not gone all that well. I think, I think it, you know, the majority of people seem to be looking for Facebook to, to more frankly address some of the real issues that were brought up here as opposed to trying to sort of brush them aside or, or downplay them. Mm-hmm. And Facebook, of course, did just rebrand its company as as Meta. Um, Will, walk me through that. What does that mean and what's the thinking there? Yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's hard not to laugh in a way because, you know, Facebook has this unprecedented public relations crisis and everybody's talking about Facebook did this and Facebook did that. And, you know, let's bring Facebook in front of Congress and Facebook is toxic. I'm going to quit Facebook. And Facebook turns around and they're like, oh, by the way. Facebook's like, no, I'm actually Meta. Yeah, we're not Facebook <laughs> anymore. Hey, that's, the, you know. Um, the rebranding is at the corporate level. So the, the company is now Meta Platforms Incorporated instead of Facebook Incorporated. The app, the, the blue app that we all that we all know and, and love or hate, as the case may be, um, is still called Facebook. Instagram will still be called Instagram. WhatsApp will still be called WhatsApp. I think a lot of us will still call the company Facebook, just like a lot of us still call it, the, uh, you know, Alphabet Google, even though it, it's, its official corporate name now is Alphabet. I think the first signs of it that we'll see as consumers will be on those virtual reality platforms. So if you have an Oculus, you know, and and you have this portal to the VR world, you're going to see Facebook building more and more experiences in virtual reality. We'll also see them come out with devices uh, for what's called augmented reality, where you kind of mix a computer screen with real life, having digital objects that can pop up in the real world if you have on the right kind of smart glasses. Ultimately, they're working toward trying to build this giant thing called the metaverse, which is sort of a, it's a fictional idea at this point. It actually comes from dystopian science fiction. So, you know, if that should maybe give us a little cause for concern, but it's the idea that there will be this, this virtual shadow world where we'll all have separate identities and avatars and we'll interact kind of in in cyberspace across all kinds of different platforms, some of which will be run by Facebook, others of which already exist today. So so games like Roblox and Fortnite have elements of the metaverse where you have a virtual identity and you buy virtual stuff and you can trade it and sell it and uh, people can develop experiences within the game. All that in theory would come together to make a metaverse of which Facebook now has, has planted its flag and said, we want to be a big part of that. I want to talk about Facebook or Meta or whatever they're called now as a company and this kind of pivot. 
you know, other than just rebranding and diversifying, you know, is there any sense of like accountability here? Well, I feel like those are two questions in a way. So I think the I think the pivot is real to some degree. I mean, this is something that's been a twinkle in Mark Zuckerberg's eye since at least 2014 when when they bought Oculus, which was a startup making virtual reality headsets at the time. You know, Zuckerberg, I think for years now has thought of virtual reality as being a big part of Facebook's future. And he's made the investments to match. They have they have thousands of employees already working on this. They're going to hire thousands more in, in the coming year. I think he said the company is going to invest $10 billion in starting to build metaverse stuff over the next year. This is a serious business move for the company. And let's not forget, I mean, you know, its reputation may be tarnished in many ways, but this is still one of the most successful, most profitable, richest, most powerful companies in the world. And if its CEO, who, by the way, has full power due to the the structure of of ownership of the company, if his CEO says, we're going to become a metaverse company, then you know, you can bet they're going to try to become a metaverse company. Now, that's a different question from whether it works. I mean, if nobody wants this, if everybody hates it, then these investments will be in vain and it won't happen and they'll have to, you know, they'll have to pivot to something else or maybe go back to just focusing on regular social media. But certainly their intent is for this to be a real thing. Now, as far as accountability, I mean, it does, it really feels like this is a dodge. Like, okay, all right, well, we may have screwed up you know, this this huge app that we built that has reshaped the way we all talk to each other across the world and geopolitics and, and you know, uh, body image for teens. But good news, we're now building a, a whole different one. And so we're excited for you to come along with us on this new journey. It, it you know, it's a little it's a little like once bitten, twice shy kind of thing, I think. Will Arimus is a tech reporter for The Post. Heather Kelly, Rachel Lerman, Chris Velasco, and other reporters on our tech team contributed reporting. And the audio you heard of the Twitter space is from an event coordinated by our social media team here at The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Lena Mohammed and mixed by Renny Svernofsky. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our supervising senior producer is Rena Flores. Our editors are me and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. Our producers are Lena Mohammed and Jordan Marie Smith. Ariel Plotnik and Rennie Svernovsky are associate producers. Sabi Robinson and Emma Talkoff are our assistant producers. Our engineer is Sean Carter. The Post's director of audio is Renita Jablonski. I'm Alexis Diao. Martine Powers will be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>